As you watch this teaching, please subscribe, like, and comment so more people can see it. Welcome to Home Group. My name is Rick Renner. This is Wednesday. And I'm here with Paul Renner and Joel Renner. Hey, guys. Hey, it's good to be with you, Dad. Three Renners right here on the set together. That's right. And we've got our home group watching with us. Oh, home group, we love you. Thank you for all your comments. And this week you have written a lot of comments, especially about Paul revealing <laughs> that my parents washed my mouth with soap and that I have continued that tradition in my own family. Now, Paul. Yes. How often do you do that? Not, no, not, not often. No, this is like maybe a few times a year. A year? Yes. I only did that once or twice in your life. I think I remember it more often than Uh-oh, uh-oh. See? No strife. <laughs> no strife. We, don't ha we have a no strife Paul, policy. I think you need to get over it. <laughs> it's okay. I've let it go. And that's why we're offering this book called You Can Get Over It, How to Confront, Forgive, and Move On. Now, we're laughing. But those really are the kinds of things that sometimes can ignite a fire in a conversation. Yes. People remember things differently. Isn't that the truth? Yes. And then you argue about something that happened so long ago that it's not even really relevant anymore. And the truth is nobody probably remembers it correctly because it's been too long ago. You get somebody else in the conversation, they remember it a different way. But anytime you've got to prove your point at the expense of a relationship, you need to rethink your point. Is it really that important? Is it really that important? But this book will be a blessing to you. You can get over it, how to confront, forgive, and move on. And this week in the regular TV program, Paul, I know you haven't seen these programs. You need to see these programs. They are really amazing. Joel, have you seen these programs? We were together in St. Petersburg when we filmed the opens of these programs. Yes, we were. On the Palace Square. Yes, we were. And we had a wonderful day that day. The sun... The clouds came and went, and we had to wait for big clouds to cover the sun so that the lighting was all the same. And you know what was funny? We had a moment of strife. It was just a hot moment in our team. Because we're all getting ready. People are watching. You know, you have to set up and uh, walk over here, walk over there. Pretty intense. The sound on. No, the sound's not on. The light's on. No, there's a cloud over us. Now there's not a cloud. We have to redo it. There's a whole bunch of that. And so just in this hot moment when there's the potential of strife, this the stand-up begins, I... Today I'm going to talk to you about overcoming strife. We all just broke out laughing. And sometimes you just need to bring a little laughter into your situation. Life is life. And we need to enjoy life and not be so intense all the time. And you need to get the whole series, which is called Overcoming Strife. You really can overcome it. You can make a no-strife policy and live by it. Denise and I live by it. And it comes with a study guide that is free. Please get it. Study guide's free and it's loaded. You will love it. And please remember that if you need prayer, we're here for you and we want to pray for you. So let us know how to pray for you. But guys, I'm so glad you're with me tonight. Thank you. I have a story. Okay. That's my wonderful brother, Philip. And whenever we all went to school together, usually Philip took a little longer to get ready because he had to put his contacts in. And he was just getting started with contacts. And he would get kind of frustrated because he couldn't get the f contacts in. And it would take a while. And me and Paul would just be sitting there like, when are we ever going to leave? And Philip would kind of get emotional. Like, <laughs> because, because we were waiting for him. He felt pressure. He can't put the contact in his eye. And here's two brothers waiting for him, asking when he's ever going to be ready. 
And that went on, I guess, a couple of, couple of times. And me and Paul just finally decided we just need to go without him. And, you know, life has consequences, but you can definitely be graceful. Philip might not think we were very graceful, but, you know, I think we tried. But you know what? That's a good solution because you can go on without him. He can get there by himself. And that's a, that's a way that you can grace somebody and make space. Yeah. But today we're going to go to James chapter 3, but I want to begin by reading three verses. In Proverbs 10, 19, the Bible says, Listen carefully, in the multitude of words there wanteth not sin, but he that refraineth his lips is wise. Sometimes people think you're wise. The truth is, you're just not saying what you think. And sometimes that's really wise. Because where there's a lot of words, there usually is sin. Proverbs 21, 23 says, Whoever keeps his mouth and his tongue keeps himself out of trouble. I'm convinced that in most relationships, about half of what we say probably doesn't need to be said. Mm -hmm. Is it beneficial? Is it edifying? Does it leave people in a good state? Probably about half of what we say is not needed. And there's another verse in Proverbs that says the person who loves strife loves sin. Mm. And I don't like sin. But strife will definitely lead towards sin. And sometimes we get into strife, uh, not intentionally, but there are those people that just seem to thrive in strife. Well, there really are people. You mean like, like they're good arguing people? Yeah, they, they do very good at being Strifeful. in strife. Like they're very good at it. And, I, and I, it's not a good thing to be good at. But, but that also means that they're, uh, that's not just part of, who they are, their character, it also means that they love sin. And, and I don't want But they don't realize that. They think it's debate. They think it's just, they even call it playing the devil's advocate as if the devil needs help. He doesn't need help. But I want to give another scripture. Okay. Ecclesiastes 3, 7. This is a verse, guys, that you know I have really applied to my life. A time to keep silence and a time to speak. Mm-hmm. There's a time to speak, and there's a time when you should not speak. And when your emotions are all stirred up, that probably is not the time to speak. And the Bible also says there's a time to embrace, and there's a time to refrain from embracing. Sometimes you just need to back up and give space. But today we're going to go to James chapter 3, verse 2. It says, in many things we offend all. If any man offend not in word, the same is a perfect man, and able also to bridle the whole body. The word offend is a Greek word which means to stumble or to mess up. When it says many offend in word, it really means in what he says or speaks, which means everybody has a temptation of occasionally messing up in what they say and wish they hadn't said what they said. That's what James says. And he says, if any man does not mess up with his words, the same is a perfect man. And the word perfect here, the Greek word teleos, describes a full-grown adult, one that has transitioned from childhood to adulthood and can handle adult responsibilities. And it means that maturity is really not gathered by how much you say. Sometimes it's by how much you don't say. Mm. Sometimes maturity is measured by what you don't say. An adult with adult responsibilities, the Bible says, is one who can control his language. I think that's very important, which means God doesn't judge our spirituality by 
how we speak in tongues or how we prophesy or how many dreams we've dreamed. He judges us by what we say with our mouth. We're supposed to be perfected in love, and love is long-suffering. That's right. So there are some things that we need to learn to do less of to be more mature. Well, the Bible says a mature man is able to bridle the whole body. The word bridle is the word for a bridle that you would put in the mouth of a horse. To hold a horse in check, to restrain, to control. You know, horses are powerful. They are powerful. Very powerful. But they can be controlled with a bridle. That's why verse 3 says, Behold, we put bits in the horse's mouth that they may obey us, and we turn about their whole body. Verse 4, Behold also the ships, which though they be so great and are driven of fierce winds, yet are they turned about very, very small helm, whithersoever the governor listeth. And this verse begins with the word behold, the Greek word edu, which means, wow, it is amazing. It's shocking. These giant ships can be controlled with a very small rudder. And I want to tell a story. Years ago, I was ministering in Virginia, near Virginia Beach, Richmond, that whole area out there, Virginia Beach, really. And a man in my meeting had been voted the Sailor of the Year for the United States. Wow. And he came to me after the meeting. He said, I'm the Sailor of the Year, and it's given me some privileges. He said, would you like to have a tour of the United States' newest aircraft carrier. He said, it's never even been dispatched yet. I said, I would love that. So I met him the next day. I'd never been next to an aircraft carrier. When I saw that aircraft carrier, I couldn't believe it. It was three football fields long, mm -hmm. three. Under the deck, there was a huge cavernous area with ships, ships in the ship, airplanes in the ship. It could carry 6,000 sailors. It had 16 floors, massive. And it had so much fuel on board that when it left, technically, it didn't have to be refueled for 16 years. That's it, was a lot. it was nuclear powered. That is amazing. Paul and Joel, I crawled through holes I didn't know my body could go through. We went up, we went down, and up ladders, down ladders, from one end to the other end, through the mess hall, through the hospital, through the living quarters, into this cavern, in the ship filled with more ships. And finally I said, where do you drive this thing? He said, well, come on, I'll take you. And he took me up to the deck. Walked onto the deck, and I said, well, where's the steering wheel? He says, right there. I looked around. I said, where? He's right there. Guys, it was about this big. That massive ship was driven by a steering wheel about this big. And I thought about this. Behold the ships. Though they be so great, that's what the tongue is. The tongue is a very small member, but the tongue is the rudder which guards our life. It guides our conversation. It determines where we go. Sometimes it takes us places we shouldn't go to. And then when you get to James 3, verse 5, it says, Even so the tongue is a what? Little member. Little. The word little in Greek is the word mikras. It's where you get the word for microscopic. Compared to the whole body, the tongue is very small. It's tiny. Member. The word member is the Greek word melos. And listen to this. 
It can describe the organ of the body, but in antiquity, in ancient times, when the New Testament was being written, it was also used to depict weapons of war. Your tongue can be a rudder to guide your life in the right direction or the wrong direction. It can guide you well in conversations or badly in conversations. And your tongue can be a weapon of war. And this verse says, It boasteth great things, behold, what a great matter a little fire kindleth. And I want to tell a story. Years ago, I was on the staff of a big Baptist church, and the preceding pastor had been very, very dramatic, very dramatic. He could pack the crowd. I mean, he could pack the auditorium with riveting sermon titles. And he made an announcement that he was going to publicly name the most evil member of the church. (laughs) They advertised it in the newspaper, on the radio, on television. Pastor such and such is going to publicly name the most evil member of the church. Well, it was a very traditional, prestigious church, and people with power and prestige were afraid their names were going to be called. So in the weeks leading up to that sermon, people began wagging their tongues The newspaper was filled with questions, speculation. Who is he going to name? People begin to say, is it me? Is he going to talk about me? And on the day when he preached the sermon, people came to church with their lawyers seated at their side. (laughs) Tongues were raging. And he stood up and he said, even so, the tongue is a little member. (laughs) The tongue is the most evil member of our church, and it just demonstrated the whole thing. What a fire the tongue can set. And that's why verse 6 says, and the tongue is a fire. And in Greek, it has a definite article. The tongue is the way you read it in Greek. Is a fire, a world of iniquity. You know what it really says? I'm going to read it to you in Greek. Hokosmos teis adikias. A universe... The tongue is a universe by itself, filled with its own hurt, injustice, wickedness, and violations. That's what this verse really means about the tongue. And it goes on to say, So is the tongue among our members, and it defiles the whole body. The word defile, all right, guys, it's the Greek word spilos. Do you hear a word? To spill. It stains. It spills. The tongue stains things. It spoils things. If somebody walks across your house and you have white carpet and they trip and they drop a a glass of grape juice on your white carpet, which you can't get out, even though you love them, every time they leave, when they leave, every time you walk by that spot, that stain is going to be a permanent reminder of a stupid blundering act. When we use our words wrong, we stain people's reputations. And then when people hear that person's name, they immediately think about what they heard. That person is stained in their mind. You don't even know if it's true. What if it's not true? What if it's your twisted opinion about what happened? Maybe you heard somebody from somebody who heard somebody, something from somebody. You don't even know that it's true, but you're repeating it. But you are staining that person's reputation. And the listeners don't forget what you say. It's really amazing. And you know what the Jews said? The Jews said, it's called Hashem Leran, that when you speak badly about somebody, it is the equivalent of character assassination 
it is murder in the eyes of God because you're murdering another person's reputation. It's very powerful. And the verse goes on to say, and it's set on fire of hell, ignited by the flames of hell itself, is what the Greek says. Then when you get to verse 7, it says, for every kind of beasts and of birds and of serpents and of things in the sea is tamed and hath been tamed of mankind. The word beasts, <coughs> the word therion, wild beasts, dangerous animals, vicious killers, naturally wild beasts that are difficult to tame like lions, tigers, and bears. But they can be tamed. They can be tamed. If you go to the zoo in, in if you go to the circus in Moscow, when you're through attending the circus, you come out, the elephants are there, the tigers are there, the lions are there. They're totally tamed. You can have your photos made. You can even tame orca whales. Well, we're going to get to that in a minute. You can tame anything. It says birds. Birds, you can tame to talk. You can train a bird to talk. That is amazing to me. You know, one time I was staying at somebody's house. The phone started ringing early in the morning. Nobody was answering the phone. It's like 5 a.m. I thought, nobody else is going to answer the phone. I will. I got up. I was in the basement, got up, walked up the steps all the way to the other end of the house, answered the phone, and it just kept ringing and ringing and ringing. And I looked, and next to the phone there was a white sheet. I'd removed the sheet. It was the parrot, and the <laughs> parrot could ring like the phone. You can tame animals, even birds. Then it says serpents, things in the sea. Things in the sea, Joel, you said orca whales. You can even tame alligators. You can. But I remember one time I took Philip to the National Aquarium in Baltimore, and we went to see an, an aquatic show, and orca whales were jumping through hoops of fire. I sat there thinking, how in the world do you tame a whale to jump through a hoop of fire? And this verse says serpents. Well, let me tell you something. I know something about snakes. Because when I was growing up, my parents allowed me to have a snake collection. I've had all kinds of snakes. Ringnecks, gray snakes, rat snakes, corn snakes, milk snakes. You name it, I've had, I've had a copperhead. Uh, when Denise and I got married, I had a python. I've had all kinds of pythons. And I'm telling you, snakes are hard to tame. They are vicious and nervous snakes. They cannot be tamed. They just cannot be tamed. But this verse says they can be tamed. They can be tamed. So according to verse 7, lions, tigers, and bears, birds, snakes, things in the sea, they can all be tamed. But then you get to verse 8 and it says, but the tongue, but, in Greek it's the word day, but, 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 it's like an exclamation, the tongue, Again, with a definite article, the tongue can no man tame. The word tame means to domesticate or bring under control. And then it says, it is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. Unruly evil. You have a picture up here? A poisonous snake. They're nervous. And they're full of deadly poison. Poison. And the poison in a snake is not in its body. Where is it? It's in, it's in its, head. its head. And when a snake bites, it pushes down with the fangs, and it's like a syringe. When it pushes down, it pumps that poison from its head 
through those fangs into the victim. And poisonous snakes are nervous snakes. They're impossible to domesticate. You never know when they're going to strike. And this verse says the tongue is like that. It's an unruly evil full of deadly poison. The word full, the Greek word mestos, which means fully loaded. Just imagine a rattlesnake, fully loaded, and bam, it strikes. Well, how many times have you been in a conversation, or me, or you, and you've thought to yourself, I know what I want to say, but I shouldn't say it. I am not going to say it. And then all of a sudden, bam, you say it. And when you say it, yeah, and then you go worse. You like reaffirm what you said. You say it again and again. It's like that snake. When they get their fangs in you, they push down, push down, push down until they unload all of it. And the person you're talking says, what did you say? And you repeat it again. It's just terrible. That's what the Bible says. Yeah. But who hasn't gone through this? I mean, we've all, we probably have all been involved at speaking every wrongly. Person, every person. But then look at verse 9. Therewith bless we God, even the Father, and therewith curse we men which are made after the similitude of God. Think about it. With our tongue, we praise the Lord. With our tongue, we speak in tongues. And turn, turn around and put the fangs in somebody with the same tongue. Verse 10. Out of the same mouth proceed the blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not so to be. And what did we read in verse 2? A mature man is one who bridles his tongue. That's a mature person. Verse 11. Doth a fountain send forth at the same place sweet water and bitter? Well, it shouldn't. Sometimes it does. Verse 12. Can the fig tree, my brethren, bear olive berries, either of vine figs? So can no fountain both yield salt water and fresh. Verse 13. Who is a wise man? Those of you that claim to be wise, you claim to really be mature, he says, and a dude with knowledge among you, let him show out of a good what? Conversation. conversation. The word conversation is the word for words, talking about what you say. Let him show it with his talk, his works with meekness of wisdom. A mature person is a person who can say, no strife, not going to go there. And he's learned how to yield his tongue to the Holy Spirit and that his tongue becomes a weapon of healing rather than a weapon that kills. Mm -hmm. Your tongue is either one that kills or one that heals. And we have to set the rudder. With our tongue, we decide where we're going to go in every relationship, in every conversation. That's how powerful the tongue is. Paul? Amen. Some conversations that I enter into, and <clears throat> here in Moscow I also serve uh, with the group of churches that we're connected to, on the ethics committee. I'm actually the chairman of the ethics committee here. And in one conversation recently that I was walking into, some pastor had said some things publicly that other people didn't agree with in one of his messages. And people came into the conversation pretty hot, ready, ready to fire. But when I came pastors. in, pastors, other pastors came into the conversation, you know, defending the Word of God and the, the wholeness of the Word of God. It was very, very good intentions. But I came into the conversation knowing that I wouldn't say a word in that whole conversation. And you're the chairman of the ethics committee. I, I knew 100% I would be sitting through the entire conversation and I wouldn't say a word. Now, sometimes I really wanted to say some things. 
because I thought some people were too harsh, and I thought some people weren't, uh, weren't speaking enough truth, that they weren't direct enough. But I, I chose to be silent. And, and that was the best thing to do. It was very, very difficult to be silent. But I knew in advance that I wouldn't say a word during the entire conversation. Sometimes the Holy Spirit will lead you and tell you exactly when to be quiet. Uh, and in that particular conversation, I believe that was the leading of the Holy Spirit because instead of uh, making a situation worse or talking about something longer than it should have been talked about or discussed, my silence actually helped the conversation calm down and just be peaceful. So be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. He's the one that can help you tame your tongue. You, you cannot do it on your own. And Proverbs says, even a fool, when he is quiet, is perceived to be wise. They probably all thought, Paul is so wise. <laughs> I got so many compliments at the end of that conversation. And I thought to myself, if you only knew what I wanted to say. <laughs> Paul, the truth is you weren't there representing yourself. No, no, of course not. You were the chairman of the committee. You were representing the committee. Yeah. And I think it's the same thing with ourselves. You know, the Holy Spirit's in us. If you're dealing with an unbelieving world and they know you're a Christian, well, you're representing Christ. Yes. And so you need to do a good representation. Amen. Well, we're going to pick up right here tomorrow night. This has really been fun, guys. Thank you, and Paul. Thank you for that very lifelike illustration. And we hope this has been a blessing to you, but we'll see you tomorrow. Bye-bye. If you enjoyed that teaching, please subscribe, like, and comment so more people can see it.